As, as you take out your Bible, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, take the one out in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, it's an early Christmas present. Take it home. And we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's about, let's see, about a little over two-thirds uh, through uh, in the last quarter of the scriptures here in my Bible. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went in to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we pray that your word would be fulfilled in us too, that Mary's prayer would be our prayer, and that you would instill in us this gift of faith, that by your grace we might believe these words that are not only true from thousands of years ago when they were written, but bring the truth of the good news that you, Jesus, came to be with us and that you are with us now. May your presence through your word change us, that we might become more like you and closer to you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is the, the second Sunday in the season of Advent. It's the season of anticipation, which is an easy thing to get into the, the, the sense of in this holiday gathering. There's lots of things to anticipate in the middle of this season. And in church, we anticipate the coming of Jesus. We anticipate that he came 2,000 years ago when he was born in a manger. But we also anticipate his return as he has promised to come back. And our theme this year is A Weary World Rejoices. Because it doesn't take long to look out at the world and see just how weary so many of us are. How many of you in the last week had a weary moment? Show of hands. This is a series 
for you. And the hope of Christmas in Jesus is that Jesus was born in a weary world. He was not born in a well-rested world. He was born in a weary world. And we started with hope last week in the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they were faithful and yet weary in their old age. And there was this void in their life. They desired to have a child but they couldn't. And so God sent an angel, Gabriel, and brought the good news that God would bless them and bless them with a son. And the son's name would be John, John the Baptist. And his purpose is to prepare the world for the coming of the Savior, Jesus. And that transitions well into what we're going to be talking about today as we shift our focus this Advent from hope now to peace. And we learn a very simple formula. If you're weary and you need peace here it is say it with me preparation equals peace preparation equals peace and I think we understand this on a very practical level wouldn't most of us agree that one of the main culprits that robs us of our peace in the midst of this season is not being as prepared as we would like to be. I'm probably causing anxiety right now just by bringing that fact up. And and I just want to start with a little bit of grace. No one is ever as prepared as they want to be in the Christmas season. No one is ever prepared. I don't care how manicured the Instagram pictures are on Christmas Day and you think, well, they had all of their Christmas presents under the Christmas tree. Let me tell you, you don't see all the parents are doing this. You don't see what's going on underneath the surface. Someone forgot something somewhere. We ran out of time. We got someplace late. We all do. And the reason I believe that is true is because Christmas is unique and not that it's busy. Every season can be busy, but it is a season that is full of busyness because we have to be prepared more than we have to be prepared in other seasons. It's not just the busyness. If you think about summer, right? Like we get excited around the summer months because we think we're going to relax and who relaxes in the summer, right? We got all this stuff we're going to do. We're going to go on vacations and get things done outside the house and all of that stuff. It's busy. You've got the busyness of the changes of seasons in the fall. School starts and those sorts of things. Winter and spring are busy. You've got Easter and spring break. But Christmas isn't just busy. But in addition to being busy, it requires preparation more than other seasons. You have to buy gifts for loved ones. And that doesn't just mean buying them. It means thinking about your loved ones. And what is it that they would like to to have? I looked at, at Google, and you can see what the highest searches are on any given day. You want to know what the number two search query was on Google on Thanksgiving? Black Friday sales. While everybody is sitting and eating their turkey, they are looking for the best deal to buy the gifts that they're going to buy on Christmas. And you got to order it early, right? Because it might not get delivered in time. And it's got to get there in time so that you can wrap it. And you can't forget about it when you leave to your family gathering. And that family gathering that you're going to, remember, you got to bring a dish to pass, right? And so you got to cook. And that's part of the preparation. And then if you've got kids especially, you got to 
make sure everybody has a nice outfit. We have five kids. Ask my wife what that looks like. That's crazy to try to think, oh, we got to make it look nice. We're going to take a picture with grandma. We got all this stuff to prepare. And, and of course, you got to take off of work or school. And so you got to take care of all those commitments by preparing ahead of time. If you travel during the season, how many of you are going to be traveling or having people travel to you during the season? Show of hands. I saw on the news the week of Thanksgiving, they estimated that this year, uh, the holiday season travel is going to exceed the number of people that were traveling pre-pandemic. So not only have we gotten back up to speed at this point, but we are beyond where we were before. And if you do not prepare, you will not get to where you're going. And If you're anything like me, I just listed all the things we need to prepare for. It's only 21 days to Christmas that I just suck the peace out of the room. Like, you got somebody over there who's on Expedia. I got to get that plane ticket, right? I didn't get Black Friday shopping done. And, And so the point is made, right? On a practical level, say it with me, preparation equals peace. We know this. And and I can't promise you that you're going to have all the presents underneath the tree. I can't promise that your plane is going to take off when it's scheduled. But the real story of Christmas gives us some insight in how we can prepare to experience peace in the midst of whatever it is that this season brings for you. And so that brings us back into today's reading. And I want to read to you just the first few verses of what we read just a few minutes ago. Luke 1.26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went and said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And so at this point, we've got a very similar interaction to the one that we saw last Sunday between the angel and Zechariah, the father of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. If you weren't here for that, it's very simple. Angel appears, and Zechariah is afraid. Angel appears to Mary. Mary is afraid, and she naturally has some questions. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, the promise of the angel, Gabriel, is even less believable for Mary than it was for Zechariah. If you remember the story of Zechariah, he and Elizabeth, they were decades past the typical child-bearing season of life. They were too old to establish a college fund. They already started drawing from their pension fund. You get what I'm saying? This is the season that they were in. God said they were going to have a child. But for Mary, it makes even less sense because she's a virgin. And so she asks the question that all of us would ask, and that is, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answers her question and says this, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Say these last words with me. For no word from God will ever fail. For no word from God will ever fail. If you have your own Bible, I want you to, or you take, you're taking ours, take out the pencil, circle that word, word. Because in the Greek, it's a special word. It's not just, when you hear the word word, you think any word, right? Like words on a page. But, but this particular word in the original language means an active word, not a dead word. It's a word that, that changes the future. It's a word that comes from life and changes life as it comes to life in the lives of those who hear it. I, I, I think about maybe the best example in my life of an active word is, is the words that were said in the adoption of two out of our five children. And, and if your only experience in the judicial system is, is shows like Judge Judy, you might think the gavel is what does all the work, right? Because that would be lots of fun if that's the way it was. But, but the truth is what matters Matters in a judicial hearing are the words. It was with words as we sat in that courtroom that the judge asked Alyssa, my wife and I, if it was our intention to say yes to being the parents of these two children and welcoming them into our family and them welcoming us into theirs. And I could, I could cry just putting myself back in that moment. It was under oath with a resounding yes that we, with our words, spoke truth that changed reality forever. And one of my favorite pictures that we took, uh, it's Sophie's um, adoption. It's on the left there. That's her up by the judge with the gavel. She got to go and hit it. Now, Carlos was adopted during the pandemic, so that was on Zoom. So we bought a gavel on Amazon. So if you're looking for gifts, and just letting you know, they're not even very expensive. And I asked the judge, is it okay if he hits the gavel? And so he did. But as good of a picture as both of those might be, it was just a formality. It was just some fun. What made everything real wasn't the gavel. It was the words. And so Mary hears the word of God from the angel Gabriel. Words that originate on God's lips. And she understands the power that comes from the word of God. And so when the angel says, no word from God will ever fail, here's her response, verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be in me fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And it makes me wonder, since I read the story last week too, what's the difference between this one and the story of the angel and Mary's relative, Zachariah? Because they both got a similar message from the angel, didn't they? They both got a word from God, from the angel. They both had clear physical reason to question how this was all going to work and how is the same word in each of their questions, Zechariah being old, Mary being a virgin. Both were physical conditions that don't typically produce 
children. And so they begin with a question. And yet, if you remember Zechariah's story, you remember that when he asked the question, he was made mute for the rest of the pregnancy. And the same thing doesn't happen to Mary. And it always makes me wonder why. And the reason why is because Mary believed the word of God. She believed the word of God. It doesn't mean she understood it, but she believed the word of God. And we see it play out in the next scene. Elizabeth is carrying her miracle son, John, and and her cousin Mary comes to visit. And it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the sound of your words, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary believed in the word of God. Mary believed what the angel said was true. Mary and Zechariah both wanted to know how this was going to take place, how this was going to happen. And you know why? Because you would ask how to. I had a guy come up to me after the last service. He's got daughters. He said, if one of my daughters came home and said that this had happened to her, I would be asking how, right? I would be asking how if this happened to anyone in my life. And I point that out because the question how is not the problem. And faith questions are never the problem. I was listening to a podcast just this week, and it was talking about the way in which to make religious communities welcoming to people who are young, and particularly people that that maybe don't feel comfortable in religious communities. And one of the ways in which we can do that is very simply by making questions something that are welcome. Questions are never the problem when it comes to faith. Is not life full of questions and circumstances that you look at and you go, man... I don't understand why or how this works. And and even if I had an angel explaining to me the mechanics of it, I still probably don't have the ability to comprehend. Mary questioned. But unlike Zechariah, Mary also believed. And she didn't wait for her understanding to catch up. Whether she understood or not, she believed that what the angel said would come true. Again, she said in verse 38, may your, say it with me, word in me be fulfilled. Friends, if if preparation equals peace, and we know it equals peace in all of the trappings of the season, having our presents ready and our gifts and our all of this stuff that we've got to do, we know on some level it brings us peace. Well, if presence equals peace in our faith as well, the way in which Mary found peace was not through peaceful circumstances. It was not through getting everything done when it needed to be. It was by being prepared, by believing the word of God that the angel spoke was true. And she was going to need to believe that was true because she was going to look ahead at a very bumpy road. She was going to have to tell her fiancé Joseph that she's pregnant and he's not the father. 
And she's going to have to tell him that God is the Father. And in a very human, grace-filled response, he sets his mind to end the engagement quietly because he loves her, but the idea sounds crazy. Doesn't it sound crazy to you too? Thankfully, an angel comes and speaks to him as well. But that doesn't mean they all go sailing into the sunset as a young family. Of course, this has to be the year a census is taken, right? And that means that they've got to go back to his hometown. And that means that a very pregnant Mary has to travel by foot. And that means they would end up going on to her giving birth, not in a hospital or even in their own home, but in a stable, in a back room, in the overflow space, because there was no room for where they were staying. In the first years of Jesus' life, Mary and Joseph would become refugees. Because the government itself was out to get infant boys because they believed that one of them was going to grow up to threaten the kingdom. And guess which one it was? It was Mary's son. And so they, they fleed to Egypt, right, for those beginning seasons of his life. And he would grow up and not just threaten the Roman Empire, but he would overturn every religious and political and social empire, not just of his day, but of every day to come. He would be such a threat that he would be killed. And Mary, Mother Mary... By then, a widowed single mother would watch as her son breathes his last for crimes that he never committed in the first place and hangs on the cross and is placed in a borrowed tomb. And I share all of this to show you that there is nothing about Mary's life on a circumstantial level that would have brought about peace. You think you got to get some presents wrapped? <laughs> You think you and I have to make sure we know what we're going to wear to a Christmas gathering? I get it. I get stressed out about all those things too. But there is nothing in Mary's life that would communicate peace. And, and my guess is that for some of us here, that's also our story this Christmas. There's stuff going on in our lives that leaves us weary. Some of us have lost loved ones this year. Some of us are in circumstances in our lives that are so beyond our ability to comprehend that even if we had the chance to ask an angel, how can this be, there just wouldn't be an answer that would be enough. And if that's you, I want to give you hope. Both Mary and Zechariah, by the end of the story, find peace. Zechariah finds peace as a priest. You might remember he's a priest and he's doing all these religious things. Actually, when he hears the angel, he's literally in the temple. And yet it isn't the religious things that brought him peace. And I say that because some of us think it's the religious things that will bring us peace. We think if I go to church more around Christmas, that'll bring me peace. If I hold a candle, that'll bring me peace. If I buy a gift for the giving tree and I share charity with the world, that will somehow bring me peace. Or, or sometimes we think it's the cultural things. If I can just sing the right songs and get into the right mood and my eggnog is mixed just right, you get my drift, right? Like that's going to draw me in to true and everlasting peace. Now, friends... Some of these things are good things. But when we look back at the story from last week, Zechariah was a priest, and he did all the right priestly things. He was a religious man. He was upright and blameless in his faith. And yet, all the traditions did to bring him peace 
was carved out space for him to listen. When he was in the temple of the Lord, he was able to listen. And so I look out at you and I look at those of you who are joining us at home. You've created a temple where you are. You are in the temple of God right now. Are you listening? Are you listening? Zechariah's voice was silenced so that he could hear. And the reason he was silenced was so that he would believe that the word of God is true. And you've got Mary, lowly Mary, who listened and heard what the angel said. She had a lot of questions, but unlike Zechariah, and unlike you and me, she was not in a quiet sanctuary. She was on the cusp of a derailed engagement and a roller coaster of a life, to put it plainly. And yet she found peace too. Why did she find peace? Well, because she believed. She believed, and so if you want to to find peace this season and every season, here's the deal, guys. It doesn't matter what you get done. It doesn't matter what you don't get done. It doesn't matter what presents you buy. It doesn't matter which ones are left unwrapped. The first thing, the only thing, the most important thing is to believe because preparation equals peace, and to prepare for the peace of God, we believe. It is belief that prepared Mary to find peace in the most peaceless circumstances over the course of human history, and it is belief in God that God loves you, that the reason his promises were true for Mary to send Jesus is that those promises are promises that you are the beneficiary of, that God loves you so much that he came to be with us, that he sent his son to die and rise again to forgive us for our sins so that you and I will be forgiven and live with him forever. And believing that, that it's actually true, even in the midst of all of our questions, will prepare you and me to experience peace in our lives and in this season and in every season we face. And so the last question is, you might say, well, that all sounds great and belief is a good thing to preach, but how? How do I believe in such a way that brings me peace? I'm glad you asked. The Apostle Paul answers your question in a prison cell as he is writing these words in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Raise your hand if you're anxious about something this Christmas season. Do not be anxious about anything. You know why Paul says don't be anxious? Because we're all anxious. And so listen to these words. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, here's the truth about the peace of God. The peace of God precedes our circumstances The peace of God meets us in the midst of our chaos and the peace of God infuses our future with hope. If you're busy this season, can I implore you, 21 days before Christmas, slow down. Take a deep breath. Look around the room because you're looking at faces of people that are not going to get everything done and neither are you. You won't get it all done anyway, and so you might as well stop. Take a breath, listen, and believe.
And the way that we do that is by praying, (laughs) by petitioning to God, and by being thankful. All of which prepares us for peace that God will bring just like he did 2,000 years ago when he sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us. And he is with you too. Amen.